Hi everyone, this is Bethany Kopachek, and welcome to Moms on Mission, the Bible study that will explore how to follow our sending God as stay-at-home moms. Together we will learn about why and how we can spend our days and our lives intentionally on mission with Jesus as mothers. Welcome to session four of Moms on Mission. I know time is so precious, so thank you for spending some of yours here with me. So far, we have focused primarily on this idea of God being ascending God, and then how we as mothers are not limited to the walls of our home and how we serve the Lord. However, this emphasis on being sent out should never be at the neglect of acknowledging and rejoicing in the roles God has given us in our families. So I wanted to begin today with a couple of scriptures that do affirm the importance of the work that we do within our homes and families. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, scripture says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So right away, we see that God desires families to fill his earth. Husbands, wives, and children. In speaking of the importance of godly marriage, David Platt says, quote, God created male and female with equal dignity and worth for our flourishing and for multiplying by them coming together in marriage. He did it so the world would have a picture on the canvas of human history of the depth of his love for us. The love of a husband and wife is designed as a portrait to the world of his otherworldly love for us. Ephesians 5 goes into detail about this picture God gave the world of his love for his bride, the church. It is unquestionably evident in scripture that we were made to be godly wives, to bless our husbands, and to reflect God's love to the world. And for our encouragement specifically around mothering, here are a few favorites. Isaiah 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And 2 Timothy 1, 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So mothers are absolutely designed by God to raise children, to follow the Lord, to comfort them, to train them, to care for their physical needs, and to fill their lives and homes with the word of God. It makes sense, then, that we would be used in the process of birthing and nurturing people into the kingdom, both within and outside of our families. 
We have seen that women were designed by God to further his kingdom through being wives and mothers. And we've also seen that God sends his people out into a hurting world to make disciples. Let's continue to explore how to merge these two paths, how to be fully engaged in motherhood and fully engaged in mission at the same time. I would like to do one more survey through scripture with you now and look at a few of the many passages that give instruction and direction to how God calls all of his followers, including moms, to live. And then in the last two sessions, we'll talk about how we might apply these verses that we're about to read in our day-to-day life as mothers. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 through 46. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Notice... In this passage, Jesus did not say, when you fed your husband, clothed your kids, or invited that fun Christian family from your church over for dinner, you did it for me. Of course, those are all great things. But are those things the extent of God's heart for how we should be spending our time and energy? These verses seem to tell us otherwise. This is not about pitting home life and outreach against each other and wrestling over which is of greater importance. This is simply about more fully going after the heart of God. And the least of these are very precious to our Father. So it makes sense that serving these people should be a priority in the life of someone who is living for him. In fact, 1 John 3, 16-18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 
Next, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Paul was literally writing that the church should pray for him to have more opportunity to proclaim the mystery of Christ while he was in prison for proclaiming the mystery of Christ. If there was ever a season of life to take a break from pursuing the spread of the gospel— Being in chains for doing so might logically seem to be a good time for that. I am so spurred on by this example of Paul to faithfully take every opportunity and to pray for more opportunity to proclaim the gospel to outsiders, no matter what my life circumstances are. Turning back in our Bibles just a couple of books, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So Paul echoes his charge to the Colossians to make the most of every opportunity. Here again to the church at Ephesus. Francis Chan shared some insights and thoughts about this verse. And he said, quote, Are we really careful about how we live? Are we careful about how we spend our time? The Greek word for make the most of every opportunity is literally ransom, to redeem something. It's this picture that our days and our time doesn't really belong to us. It's kind of running away from us and we need to ransom it and capture it and make the most of it. If you live a fulfilling life, you don't ask, where did the time go? Because you know where it went, and you're glad about where it went. At the end of a year, I can look at a row of people and say, My time went to him. I invested in her. I poured into those guys. I supported those kids overseas. My time went to that couple. My money went to them. And I can point and say, That was a good use. End quote. I want to live intentionally and to fight against allowing myself to get stuck in the flow of a certain season and letting myself just drift along with the current. I want to be careful how I live. Author Annie Dillard wrote, How we live our days is how we live our lives. How we live our days is how we live our lives. We are spending our life right now in however we're spending each individual day. I was convicted and encouraged by this to make the most of every opportunity in my present circumstances and not to wait for a more opportune time to spend myself for the kingdom, both in my home and beyond. Returning briefly to Proverbs 31, I'm just going to pull out and summarize a few points of the passage since we already read it in its entirety last time. She works with eager hands, provides food for her family. She welcomes the poor and needy, clothes the members of her household. 
She makes and manages money, makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple, enables her husband to go do his job, is strong and confident and wise and fears the Lord. She sets about her work vigorously and her arms are strong for her tasks. This woman of excellence is such an amazing picture of how beauty, skill, vigor, initiative, strength, and wisdom are all part of femininity. Being a gentle, wise, godly mother of children doesn't exempt us from using other talents and abilities to assist those in need. And being a helpmeet to our husbands doesn't disqualify us to answer God's call to share our gifts with others and in other areas of life. Next, I'd like to read two passages of scripture together. First, Isaiah 52, 7, and then Matthew 5, 14 through 16. So Matthew 52, 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. And Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Lovely are those who proclaim salvation on the mountains. On the mountains! This is not a picture of those who mostly remain in their homes. Likewise, God has put his light into us, and that light was not intended to be hidden, but to shine before men to the glory of God. Later in Isaiah, in chapter 60, he continues expanding on this idea of others being drawn to our light. Verses 2 and 3 say, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now let's talk about what's known as the Great Commission for a moment. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus began his time with the apostles by inviting them to follow him and to lead others to follow him when he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You can find this in Mark 1.17. And here, in Matthew 28, Jesus ended his time on earth with the apostles, sending them out in his authority and power to continue in the mission of making more disciples. A question may arise about whether this commission was to anyone beyond these original apostles. Well, In Acts 8, after the stoning of Stephen, we are told in verse 1 that all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the apostles stayed, but
but other believers in Jesus scattered. And then in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So the early church seems to have believed this commission from Jesus was to them as well, not only to the 11 disciples to whom Jesus was speaking in Matthew 28. And those members of the early church immediately began living this out, despite intense persecution. Jesus also promised that he would be with us as we go out making disciples to the very end of the age, indicating this promise lasts long past the deaths of the original apostles. And this further shows us that this commission is for all of his followers. Jesus also spoke of his authority and of giving that authority to us in John 14. In verse 10, he said, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And in verse 12, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. If we trust the words of Jesus and have dedicated our life to following him, we should live in expectation that this authority and power that he's placed in us will manifest greatly in our daily lives as we live out this mission he has sent us on to make disciples. And finally, the last verse I'd like to bring up today is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are filled with the Holy Spirit and with power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, as Ephesians 4, 19-20 tells us. Would he really fill us with that kind of power for the purpose of focusing decades of our lives exclusively within the walls of our own home? This verse tells us the purpose of this power, to be his witnesses where we live, in the area surrounding us, and to the ends of the earth. In David Platt's book titled Follow Me, he expands on this concept, and allow me to quote a large section here because it's so relevant. Quote, I hear professing Christians say, well, I don't witness with my words, I witness with my life. And there's some truth here. We want the character of Christ to be clear in our actions. At the same time, when Jesus told his disciples that they would receive his spirit and be his witnesses in the world, he wasn't just calling them to be nice to the people around them. Whether in a courtroom or any other circumstance, the basic function of a witness is to speak. The apostles who heard Jesus' words in Acts 1 were not martyred because they went into the world doing good deeds. They were murdered because they witnessed to the word of God. And I'm still quoting the book here. We have brothers and sisters around the world who are imprisoned, beaten, persecuted, and killed today, not because they smile as they serve people. Martyrs from the first century to the 21st century die because they speak the gospel. Doesn't it seem ignorant to say, particularly in areas where we're free to proclaim the gospel, that we'll just witness with our lives? God has given us a gospel to believe, a spirit to empower, and a language to speak for a purpose. 
a grand, glorious, global, God-exalting purpose that transcends all of history. From the beginning of time through today, God has been at work, drawing people to himself, and he is using us to accomplish his will. End quote. This all echoes what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What is a specific way you are putting your light on a stand in your life right now? If you're not already, I want to challenge you to consider asking the Lord on a regular basis for more opportunity to shine your light as a family and asking for guidance and direction on what that might look like for you specifically. These passages so excite and inspire me, and I hope you are ignited and encouraged as well.